Open your Bibles to Luke 18. We're not going to stay there very long. But we've been talking over the last months really about getting ready for Jesus' return. He is returning. There are theories out there, and they're all supported with Scripture, that tell you that the church is going to be raptured before he comes. When he comes back, he's going to come take the church, and so that we will not go through the tribulation, because there's a tribulation the Bible talks about. And this isn't it yet. If you think this is tough, this isn't tribulation yet. There's a theory out there that's based on scriptures that he will let us go halfway through the tribulation, which is, uh, uh, which is three and a half years. And then there's another theory that's also based on scriptures that says we'll go through the whole tribulation and it'll take us out at the end. So what do we do? Well, we go back to what we do know. We know he's coming. <laughs> and we know he's going to take us. And we know we need to be ready. So instead of getting into discussions and arguments and confusion over some of the other theories, let's take with what we do know and focus on what we do know and what is important. Because when He comes for you, it's not important which theory you believe in. When He comes for you, what's important is, are you ready? That's something we can do something about. And we've looked at a number of steps of being ready. The first one, which is the most important one, of course, is to make sure that you're saved, to make sure that you have been converted, to make sure that you've repented of your sins and you've given your life to Christ and received Him as your Savior. That's the beginning, but it is just the beginning. And so then we've looked at, uh, the next thing we looked at was, was waking up, being, being awake, because in the, and it doesn't, you know, I don't mean just being in church awake, I mean wake up and realize what the time is that we are in. And you know, there's a, there's, you can be a, a, aware of something in your mind, but it's being aware of it in your heart. It's realizing and awaking to something doesn't mean, just mean, oh yeah, I know that's coming. It's to be on full alert and getting ready that it's coming. That's what it means to be awake. Not just thinking about it, not just acknowledging it, but on alert to do something about it. And that's what I really believe God's calling me. As I've talked to people, different people in the church and what God's speaking to them and what they're hearing. And, and when, I, when, I, when Sister Mary Ann was here, I'm listening. Well, God, what are you saying? We said all kinds of things. But the, but the bottom line well, that I heard was get ready. Get ready. God's getting us ready. And He's very good at it. He knows how to deal with us. But we also have to listen. So wake up was the next thing we looked at. Make, get, be, repent. Wake up. Awake. Then we discovered that we need each other. Hebrews 10 says that we are not in the, as, as we see the day coming of his return, we are to not forsake our assembling together. That's not watching it on television. That's not streaming it on the internet. Those are fine ways to supplement. But God has ordained that the body of Christ actually come together. Isn't it nice that your body came together this morning? that your feet aren't communicating with your head through the internet, <laughs> but they're actually connected to each other. And so we learned that as we need to be, we, we're coming to the place, and I shared this with the Connect Group leaders yesterday, we're coming to the place with what's about to happen where all we're really going to have is the Lord and each other. So we better get used to each other. We better learn to cling to each other. We better learn to be real with each other. We better learn we need each other. Because most, a lot of the things that we've needed and relied on before are not going to be reliable anymore. But what God has provided for us, what He has ordained for us is reliable, and that is that we need each other. 
And so that's why we're doing things to help you bring you together. That's why we have these connect groups, and we'll talk more about those in a couple of weeks. I think we've got one coming up the first Friday of March. Um, The next thing we looked at is live right. That just means God is holy and God is righteous. And the Bible says in a number of places, and we're talking about saved people, that with, without holiness, you will not see the Lord. Yeah. Without righteousness, you will not, I don't mean physically see Him, you will not be with Him. So just because you're saved doesn't mean you can do what you want now. Salvation is not a free ticket into heaven. Salvation wipes the slate clean, empowers you to live right for Him, but there's a responsibility that we have in response to that, and that's to live our life right before Him. And if we love Him, we'll want to do that. Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. I I want to do what pleases my wife. She wants to do what pleases me. And so it can be little things. And the other day, I was, you know, she'd made a, some more coffee. So she just went ahead and fixed it. I was sitting in my chair reading and just brought it over to me. She didn't do that because I demanded of her. There's not a rule in the house to do that, or I have a rule that I've got to do certain things with her. I'll make the bed with her or do it on my own if it needs to be made. I'll do the dishes. I'll, I'm stepping on somebody's toes this morning. I'll do those kind of things, not because I have to, but because I love her. I love her because we love Him. We want to please Him and we want to see His will done. All right. So we learn to live right. We've got to live right. And and God's presence will not come here if we're not living right. Or if it comes here, we're not living right. Read Acts chapter 6, I think it is. Story of Ananias and Sapphira. Oh, I wanted to live in the New Testament church. They lied in their hearts to the Holy Spirit about, about their offering and dropped dead in church. And it says the fear of the Lord spread. That's a healthy fear. That's not afraid of. That's a healthy reverence for who God is. The church desperately needs that again, that reverence again. Then we talked about taking your place, because when He comes back, we're going to have to give an account for whether we did what we were called to do. We're not talking about being saved. You have an assignment from God. Whether you did what you were called to do, and the standard is going to be, were you faithful to that call? And then we talked about abiding in Him. First John 2.28 says that when He returns, uh, if you abide in Him, you will, not, you will have confidence before Him and will not shrink back at His coming. And so we talked about where our focus has to be is our relationship with Him. The Bible says that in the last days, many, not some, Many are going to be deceived. We're talking about believers. And I believe the Bible teaches us that what keeps you from being deceived is knowing Him. And I share with you because I know my wife for almost 45, well, no, I've known her for 45 years, but we've been married for almost 45 years. This year it will be. You know, I know her. I've, there's still more to know. But as I shared with you, if you told me you saw her drunk last night in a bar in North Providence, I'm going to say, I don't know who you saw, but it wasn't my wife. Because I know her. I know her ways. And so it's abiding in Him, living in Him, and that allows His life, His wisdom, His resources to flow through you and in through you and out and produce the fruit that He wants to produce through you. But it also brings with Him His provision, 
We're out there trying to get our needs met, and he's just saying, look, abide in me, and I'll meet your needs. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says, says, don't you know your Father knows what you need before you ask? And the, all the rest of that chapter, most of verse, uh, chapter 6, is, about, is really about bi- abiding in him. It's about seeking him with your heart. All right. Did you find Luke 18 yet? I want to give you enough time. All right. So we're going to look at the next thing, the next step about what the Bible says, and there may be others, but these are the ones we're going to look at, about what it means to be ready. What, does it have, what do we have to do to be ready? Because we saw in 1 John chapter 2 last time that, that there's going to be two responses when he comes back. Some are going to have confidence to stand before him, and others are going to shrink back in shame. You're not going to be neutral. And what we do now with these things God's telling us will determine which one of those responses you have. It's up to you. If we just sit here and say, yep, yep, I know He's coming, yep, yep, I know He's coming, and we don't ever allow the Holy Spirit to work in us. See, He's working in you. He wants to work in you right now to get you ready. It's not going to be a surprise when God comes back, when Jesus comes back. And he said, gee, I didn't know that. He's been working in you. There are going to be things that you listen. He said over and over again, you know, you need to do this. You need to do this. You need to do this. And, and you say, yeah, 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 I'll get to it. And then suddenly, now we have to give an account. Did I do it? So learn to listen to what the Spirit is saying to you. Because he's, he's not saying it for no reason at all. He's preparing you. And he's patient and he's gentle. But we've got to learn to listen. All right, Luke chapter 18, Jesus is talking, I know because it's in red in my Bible. Verse 1 says, Then he spoke in a parable to them, and this is the purpose of the parable, that men ought always to pray and not lose heart. Then he tells a little parable about an unjust judge who got so fed up at a woman who came asking for justice that he finally, even even though he was not a righteous man, he, he, he said, look, I'm, verse 5 says, Yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest her continually coming, she wearies me. In other words, she's pestering me so much, I'm going to give her what she's asking for, so I get rid of her and get her out of the way. Now, some people teach that that's what you have to do with God in prayer, but God's not an unjust judge. All right? He tells you what he's talking about here. He says, The purpose of this parable is that men ought to always pray and not lose heart. That's the message here. Not get discouraged and pull back and quit. So now go down to verse 8. And I tell you that He will avenge them... Well, let's go to verse 7. And, and, and shall God not avenge His own elect, who cry out day and night to Him, though He bears long with them? I tell you that He will avenge them speedily, nevertheless... And this is what we want to get to... When the Son of Man comes, will He find faith on the earth? When Jesus comes back, one of the things He's going to look for is, do I find faith? Faith. faith. All right? Now, the name of our church is Faith Christian Center. My wife and I and several other in here went to a Bible school that was all about teaching faith. And there's been times when faith has been in vogue and in in popular, and other times when it's not been. But with God, it's always popular. And we're going to see this morning, it's essential. And what we're also going to look at is what its purpose is according to the Bible. 
because there's many people talking about faith, teaching faith, and what they're saying is true, but they've missed the ultimate purpose for why God requires faith and actually gives us faith for us to learn how to exercise and to practice. So let's begin by finding out what faith is so we know what we're talking about. Turn with me to Hebrews 11.1. This is the classic definition of faith. And then we're going to show, put it in perspective. Hebrews 11.1. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Some of your translations will say it is the confidence of things hoped for. But the word there actually in the original language is much stronger than that. It means it is evidence. It is something tangible. And I'll boil it all down to this. This is really what faith... You all understand what faith is until you get into church. Because <laughs> you operate in it every day. You've heard me use this example. If you've ever gone through a, driven through a drive through window, you know how to operate by faith. Because you go to that first window, you tell them what they want, you want, they tell you, and they ask for your money. Then they tell you, thank you, go to window number two. You just acted on something they said, believing that when you get to window number two, your two Big Macs, French fries, and a Coke are going to be there, <laughs> or whatever restaurant, or wherever you went through. So they told you, you give us this money at window number one, and we'll give you your food at window number two. You believe them enough to act on what they said. And when you got to window number two, you weren't shocked. <gasps> the Big Mac and fries were there. You expected them to be there. In fact, if they weren't, you'd want to go see the manager. <clears throat> you know how to operate by faith. It's when we get into church and we drink the Bible that we get all kinds of strange, weird ideas. Faith is very simply taking God at His Word to the extent that you'll believe what God says no matter what your senses tell you. That's really all it is. It's not a formula. Formulas can help to make sure we're covering all the bases, but really what it is is trusting God's Word to the point that you'll believe and act on what He says in spite of what your senses tell you about something God speaks about. And the Bible's full of examples. In, Hebrews, in, in uh, Romans chapter 4, it talks about a story that's out of Genesis, which is Genesis uh, 15 and 17 and, and some more around there, about Abraham. Who Abraham was 75 years old. He was old enough so that his body was barren. He couldn't produce children anymore. And his wife was barren from the beginning. And she's now too old. And they don't have any children. They don't have any son, which was a, which was a, a major problem in those days because that's how everything was passed on. And so God comes to him, enters into a covenant with him, and Abraham's reaction is in, in Genesis 15 is, what do I get since I don't have a son? And God says that you are going to have a son because Abraham presented his servant to him and says, well, I'm going to have to treat him as if he's my son. And God says, no, he's not going to be your son. I'm going to give you a son that's going to come from your body and your wife's body. Well, that didn't happen right away. So Abraham decided to help God out 
And he, together with his wife, came up with a plan whereby he had relations with, with one of her servants. She produced a son named Ishmael, and they presented Ishmael to God saying, here's the son that you promised us. And God says, no, no, no. That's your plan. What I require is this. I made a promise to you. You'll see this in Galatians 4 also. I made a promise to you that from your old body and her old body, I was going to produce life. From your dead body reproductively and her dead body reproductively, I'm going to produce life just because I said so. But isn't that how he created everything else? Just because he said so. And for... 24 years, Abraham and Sarah struggled with that. But at some point in time, they believed that promise. And nine months later, God presented them with Isaac that he produced by his promise. In the process, their senses, their body, every day they got up, told them, ain't going to happen in those bodies. He'd wake up and look at her, and his mind screaming, no way. <laughs> she looks at him and says, mm-hmm. in fact, the Bible says at one point in time, each of them laughed at God when he, f- actually, he sent angels. And she's laughing behind the curtain. But there came a point when they believed, in spite of what their senses and what God promised came about. So that's what faith is. It's substance. Substances mean something you can touch. It's the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not seen. That means your senses tell you. Your senses can't tell you that this is true, but faith steps in the place of what your senses tell you to give assurance. That's essentially what faith... That's not essentially. That is what faith is. And so we're going to now look at, 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 at some scriptures that back that up and then show you how that applies, why that's so important in the day and age in which we live. Why does God require faith? Why does God require faith? Well, let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We're going to come back to Hebrews here later on. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 16. We're going to go back later to some of the earlier verses. But I want to show you here what faith is. This is, this is faith in action. Verse 16. Therefore we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. Now the outward man is your body. Now let me ask you a question. How your body... Well, no, I'll tell you something. Your body is what where your senses are located. You have five natural senses. Sight, hearing, taste, touch, smell. Thank you. Every one of those is done by your body. And it's through one or more of those five senses that your mind and you know what's going on around you. So you know, you know what, what, suit I'm, what color suit I'm wearing today because your eyes see it. You can tell whether it's hot or cold or what's the atmosphere is like in here physically because your, your skin can feel that temperature. And there are other things right now. Your senses are all operating, telling you all kinds of things that are going on around you. And the further you are back in the congregation, the more your senses are telling you. 
Because the further are you back, the more distracted it is to get because you've got all these people in front of you and you're watching them while you're trying to listen to what God's saying. I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm just saying your senses are telling you things all the time. And that's your body. One of the things your senses are telling you is your body isn't as young today as it was 10 years ago. All you've got to do is look at an old picture. So that's a bad confession. Well, Paul made the same bad confession. He said, the outward man is perishing. It's getting older. It's in the process of decay. We paint it up, prep it up, exercise it, you know, do all the things we can to make it look good in the process. But unless Jesus comes back, it's turning back to dust at some point. In spite of what you confess, it's turning back to dust. Because that's what the Bible says is going to happen. But the good news is, that's not who you are. That's just your temporary residence here on the earth. It's your earth suit. That's what your body is. It's an earth suit. But that you have an inward man, your spirit man and your soul, that's the part of you that was born again. And Paul says here, that part of you is renewed, getting stronger day by day. So as, as, while your body's getting older and going the other direction, your inner man, if you're feeding it, on the Word of God, if you're spending time with Him, your inner man's getting stronger. And that's going to become important to us. So wherever you are in your life right now, chronologically, wherever you are spiritually, this is what's going on right now. So I'm looking at your outer man, you're looking at my outer man, but that's not who I really am. In chapter 5, we won't get that far, but chapter 5, it's around verse 16. Paul says, we don't longer recognize Christ according to the flesh. What he's saying is, there was a day and time when the disciples knew him. They could tell you the color of his eyes. They could tell you what his skin felt like. They knew exactly what the sound of his voice was like. Why? Because they experienced him through their five senses. They didn't have to walk by faith. They just reached over and touched him. I feel Jesus. We sang that song this morning. They literally physically could feel Jesus. And Paul's saying, that was the relationship they had when he walked on the earth. But goes on to say, but we don't relate to him that way anymore. Why? Because he's not physically here. He's here, but not in his physical body. So this, my physical body is the only thing that can pick up another physical, sense another physical body. He says, we don't relate to him according to the flesh anymore. And then he goes on to basically, we, don't, we are not to relate to each other according to the flesh anymore, once you're born again. So it doesn't matter what your flesh looks like, whether it's black, white, pink, polka dot, whether you're tall, short, male or female, none of that matters because that's outward stuff. We are to recognize one according to the inner man, and that's why in verse 17 he says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things passed away, all things become new, and those new things are God. So just as we relate to Christ as a spirit being now, we are to recognize one another and evaluate one another that way because that's the real person that's in you. But you've got to do that by faith because it's by faith I believe that you're a new creature. It's by faith I believe I'm a new creature. I don't always act like it. Don't look at me that way. As if you always do. So that's what faith is for. All right. 
The outward man's perishing, but the inward man's being renewed. Now here's the key, verse 18. For while we do not look at the things that are seen, that's not just your eyes, your senses. We don't look means we don't walk, we don't pay attention. Driving home, you pay attention to what your eyes see. But when it comes to the things of God, and that's what we're talking about, when it comes to the things of God, we are not to look, be moved by, we're not to be governed by the things that our senses tell us. This is so important in these last days because our senses are being bombarded with messages and with words and with news and virtually none of it's good. While we look not, pay not do not pay attention to the things that are seen that our senses tell us. For the things that are seen are temporal, temporary. They're passing away. They're of this realm. But the things that are not seen, it goes on to say, so we're to look not at the things which are seen, but we are to look at the things that are not seen. Now that's an interesting say. How do you look at something that's not seen? No wonder Peter says later on, You know that Paul writes some things that are hard to understand. How do you look at something that's not seen? Well, it depends on which eyes you're using. He's saying, don't look with your natural senses at the realm that can't be detected by your natural senses. The Bible teaches that there are two realms of existence. There's a natural material realm. That's the one Genesis is talking about when it says, in the beginning God created. What He created in Genesis is this natural material realm. And it's anything that your five senses, one or more of your five senses, can detect. So you can see it, hear it, smell it, taste it, or touch it, or, or any combination of those, then you know it is of this natural material realm. So when you turn and look at your neighbor right now, what you're looking at is the part of them that's of this natural material realm. When you look at yourself in the mirror, you're looking at the part of you that's the natural material realm. And the Bible says that's temporary. It's fading away. But there's another realm of existence, which is the spirit realm, which is actually more real than this natural realm. It's just not more real to us because we spend so much of our time focused on what we see, feel, touch, hear, or taste. Those are the things that are the most real to us because we live most of our time conscious of thinking about and communicating about and worrying about what our senses are telling us. And pay very little attention and give very little time to the spirit realm because we don't it doesn't bump into us. See, the senses are bombarding you. If you, just do, if you do nothing, your mind will be bombarded today with sense, sense, sense evidence that will give you all kinds of messages. That's why it's so important to spend time every day in the Word of God because the Word of God talks to you about the other realm. It's so important to pray because when you're praying, you're in contact with the other realm and it becomes more real to you. That's why Paul says in Ephesians to pray without ceasing. That doesn't mean you're on your knees all day. That means you're walking in communion with God. Not, 
I mean, you're just caught talking. I do. I go through the day talking to them about situations that come up. I may go into a meeting and say, Lord, I really want your heart in this situation. Or I'll be in the middle of a situation. What do I do? And my mind's racing to do something. No, calm down. What do you want me to do, Lord? And I listen inside of me. Why? Because I believe what the Scriptures say, that God's the Spirit of God lives inside of me. And so because I believe that, I act on that. Just like you believed you were going to get your Big Mac fries and Coke at the other window, so you handed your 750 to the lady at the first window. Because you believed it, what she said, you acted on it. And God says some things about that spirit realm. Are, are you with me this morning? All right, okay. Just don't want to lose you. All right, all right. Okay. This is, this is so critical for, for, for walking with God. Why? Because God's a spirit. God's a spirit. And because God is a spirit and His realm is that spirit realm, you cannot normally detect Him with any one of your five senses. So we sing a song, I feel Jesus, but you didn't feel Him with your hands. You couldn't feel His breath on the back of your neck. You couldn't feel... Now, sometimes people have, but that's super natural. It's not natural. It's beyond the natural. But within the natural flow of things, you cannot detect Him... His presence with your five senses. Say, but I did feel Him. And the the disciples said their heart burned with Him. It wasn't that pump in their chest. It was their spirit man was warmed because He drew near. The part of you that's a spirit that's from that realm senses Him if you're aware of your spirit and sensitive to your spirit. Okay? All right, so that's essentially what faith is. Now we're going to begin to talk about why it's so important. Why it's so important. Well, before we do that, go over, um, go over to verse 7 of chapter 5. For we walk by faith and not by sight. Now walk means conduct your life. We go walk our life out. By faith and not by sight. Now you drive home by sight. When you pull out on 195, you do that by sight. Don't close your eyes and say, oh, I drive by faith, I drive by faith. That's foolish. <laughs> and you get hit by somebody, you got what you asked for. <laughs> but when it comes to the things of God, because the context he's talking about here is he says, I know that my end is near, I'm going to put off this tent this body that's decaying. I know I'm going to put this off. It's talking about death. You know, one of the things we Christians don't know how to die. I don't want to talk about that. In the Bible, Paul was excited about it. In fact, in Philippians, he says, I'm really struggling with whether to die or to stay here with you. And the reason he decided to stay alive was it was their benefit. That means Paul saw something most of us don't see. Paul was aware of something most of us aren't aware of. Christians should not walk around afraid of dying. We should not be afraid to die. Why? Well, first of all, because we know where we're going. But you see, 
we know where we're going in different degrees of knowledge. Some of us know where we're going because we know, oh, the Bible says when I die, I go to heaven if I'm a Christian. That's how we know it. It's up here. Okay? I know that's a fact. I know the Bible says so, and I may remember some scriptures that say that. But the more you abide in Him and walk with Him, the more you spend time aware of the Spirit and in the Spirit, communing with Him and in the Word, and the more real that Spirit realm becomes to you, then what happens is the more real, more of a reality comes to you that when you put this body off, you get another one. How do I know that? Because He said so. How many of you have actually, I don't mean in a dream, I don't mean in a vision, how many of you have actually ever physically been in heaven? When you die, are you going there? God's watching you see what you say. <laughs> How do you know you're going there if you've never been there and you don't know for you don't, you know, you don't know it exists with your natural senses. The only way we know it is cuz God says so in his word. So that means I got to go by what God says, not by what my experience tells me. So in order to do this, I got to be able to walk by faith. Because it takes faith to believe something's real that you can't see. So Paul says, I've learned, and we are to learn to conduct our lives, to walk our, our, through our life by faith in what God says and not by what my senses are telling me. And that becomes very important. All right. Now, let's just go back here. We're going to now look at what the purpose of faith is. Why is Okay, that's what it is. Why is Jesus going to be looking for it when He comes back? Why is he going to be looking? Well, let's talk about what faith is typically talked about. First of all, Ephesians 2.8 says that we are saved by grace through faith. We're not saved by faith. We're saved by grace. That grace is received through faith. See, and that's the next thing we're going to get to. Faith allows you to receive something you can't see. So when you come to Christ, you see it in His Word or some, you hear somebody talk about Him and, and, they, and they give an invitation, invite you to come to Christ, and you respond to that invitation, you are receiving a gift of God's grace. But you can't see grace. We don't have grace tables up here. Say, so, all right, it's that time of service, come up and get your grace. We got a little package with Steve's name on it and Joe's name on it and you know Sally's name on it. Come get your package with grace. I mean, we went to this married couples event on Friday and there was a name tag so we knew, you know, and we, although we could sit where we wanted to. Sometimes you go to a wedding reception and there's a name tag and they're telling you where your place is to sit. It's got your name on it so you don't, you know you know it's yours. But grace doesn't come like that. You have to take God at His word. And then you believe that that applies to you. And when you do that, that enables you to receive it, just like believing that that Big Mac French fries and shake is yours at window two. Because I, I got a bag once and I looked and said, this isn't what I ordered, so I handed it back. This wasn't my order. 
So I, because I, 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 I didn't believe it was mine, so what did I do with it? I gave it back. I wouldn't take it if I didn't believe I was entitled to it. It takes faith to believe that God's grace through Christ has been given to you. It takes faith to receive it. So what faith does, faith doesn't make something happen. Faith doesn't make God do something. You can't make God do something. He, he, he's do- In fact, if you understand your Bible, you'll find out God's already done it. He's not going to save you. He paid for that 2,000 years ago. And He paid enough so that everybody that's ever lived could be saved. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes on Him. Whosoever means it's now our choice whether we receive the gift that He's given. But Ephesians 2.8 says that gift is received by faith and even that faith is a gift from God. So faith allows us to receive our salvation, the grace of God, but it's also how you receive everything else from God. Healing, provision in your life, all the blessings of God, all the things God wants to do are received by faith. You know the things God wants to do for you and has already paid for it and you didn't get it because you didn't ask or you didn't receive it. Rich was telling me about a situation yesterday where he got in a situation where he ran out of gas and instead of panicking because he was late for something in the middle of the highway, he just looked inside and says, God, what do I... He expected God to give him an answer. And God directed him to go up to this farm and there was somebody there that took him out and within 15 minutes he had gas, a can of gas and was on his way again. Because God had an answer for him. But see, he asked God and then expected to receive it. So we receive things from God by faith. And so much of the teaching in the body of Christ today is faith for this purpose. And there's nothing wrong with it. It's exactly what God has provided is to learn how to receive God's blessings, God's provisions, healing, all these things. They're things that God wants us to have and they're received by faith. But if we think that's the only purpose for faith, we've missed it. Because that's not what Jesus... I don't believe that's what Jesus is coming back to check on. Let me see. How blessed are all you? Have you learned faith enough to be so blessed that it blesses me? Well, it does bless Him, but I don't think that's what it means when He's coming looking for faith. Because there's a higher, more important purpose for faith. Go with me back to Hebrews 11. If you go through the Gospels, you'll find that in Jesus' ministry, there are, and I didn't count them, I'm going by somebody else's count, there are 19 specific healings, specific events of healing. There are places where he healed whole crowds, but by a specific event, I mean, in one case, there's two, lepre- there's two blind men that came to him. That's counted as one healing, one event. And out of those 19 cases... Where somebody, where people were events of healing, in twelve of them, Jesus refers to their faith. The woman with the issue of blood who came while Jairus, Jairus is an example. But she said, 
be it done unto you, woman, your faith has made you whole. Your faith has made you whole. And Acts 14 says, Paul saw this crippled man and said, seeing his faith. Faith doesn't earn something, but it's what was necessary to receive something. The power was in Jesus to heal everybody around him. But this woman with the issue of blood believed it enough to act on it, to say, if I just touch the hem of his garment, I shall be made whole. And she had to fight through the crowd to do that. And Jesus said, your faith has made you whole. Twelve out of the nineteen times Jesus refers to their faith. But there's a higher purpose. The same principle, it works the same way, but it has a greater purpose. God wants to heal us, God wants to bless us, but if that's all we use faith for, we've missed it. Hebrews 11, verse 6. But without faith, it is impossible to please God. So many people read that scripture and stop there. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And so they teach it, well, if, I'm, if, you know, if we're not operating our faith to receive things from God, then we're not pleasing Him. But there's more to the verse. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. For in order to come to God, you must believe. Stop right there. So the faith that's necessary to please Him is so that we can believe what's about to follow. Because remember, you can't see him. Our senses can't detect him. We must believe that he is. Well, I believe he is. Well, we'll talk about that for a second. And that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. It's just really common sense. But what this whole verse is about is the part that so many people skip over. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. For in order to come to God, you must believe those two things. So the the value of believing those two things is it enables you to come to God, and that's what pleases Him. So the whole focus of this verse is that faith enables us to come to a God we can't see because we believe that He really is there even though we can't see Him and we believe when we come to Him He's not going to reject us. Therefore, we'll come to Him and that's what pleases Him. It's all about... This Bible is about relationship from Genesis 1-1 to the last verse of Revelation. It's all about relationship with God. It's God created in the beginning. It man, man sinned and broke the relationship. And everything from Genesis 3-15 on is about restoring it back to what God wants, even to the end of the book, which talks about God will bring us to a place where not only does He dwell among us, not only does He dwell in us, but we will physically dwell in His physical presence and he will be a new city that he will light with the glory of his face because he wants to be with you so it's all about coming to him and him coming to us but because he's a spirit being and we don't see him or detect him with our senses we don't and we go by how we feel 
I got up this morning and I didn't even feel saved. Now, don't look at me like that. I get out of bed and I, you know, get, open my Bible and it's not talking anything to me. And I'm reading it and I'm reading it and I'm reading it. Now, I've been around enough to not get anxious. Well, I've got to go preach because I know the Spirit of God's going to show. See, I, 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 I came by faith this morning. I'm reading it, and I can't even pay attention to what I'm reading. A little more coffee. Maybe that's going to help. Did you ever have a day like that? It's just... But I read it anyway. I read it by faith. Now it's time to go down in, my, in our furnace room where I pray, and I go down there. Now I'm going to go down there, and I'm going to spend time with God. <laughs> Felt Nothing. But I did it by faith because the Word says that if we draw near to Him, He'll draw near to us. Go back to um, chapter 10. Kind of jumping around a little bit. We're just following where I sense God's taking us. Back to chapter 10, uh, verse 19. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest, that's the presence of God in the tabernacle, by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which He consecrated us through the veil, that is His flesh, and having a high priest, that's Jesus, over the house of God, verse 22, let us draw near with a true heart, that means sincere, in what? Full assurance of what? Of what? Of what? Of faith. Having our hearts sprinkled from an evil consciousness. That means consciousness of evil, of sin. And our bodies washed with pure water. That's talking about baptism. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. This is what he's coming back looking for. This is what his faith is for. Is so that in these days we don't waver. So that in these days when the pressure's on, we don't waver. When he comes back, he's going to know where the faith is because he's going to see who didn't waver. And the key to not wavering is drawing near to him. The key to not being deceived, because some aren't going to waver, they're just going to get deceived and follow off after things that look good and sound good. What's going to be the basis of discerning truth from error is those that know Him, have that relationship with Him. So draw near in full assurance of faith. Now notice there's nothing in these verses that says you're relying on you and how good you've been. It's faith in the blood of Christ. Faith in what He did on the cross. And here, back to what faith is again. Faith is simply take God at His word and then you act as if it's true. What does the Word tell us? On that cross, Jesus took your sins and paid for them. That means they've been paid for. I don't care what you feel like, they were paid for. So if they're paid for, you can come to Him without a sense of feeling guilty, 
because they've been paid for. No matter how you feel, you can still come to him as if you were somebody who'd never sinned. In fact, I told you several weeks ago, the word confidence actually means at its root to speak freely and openly. So you have a right as a child of God to come to the presence of God anytime. He's drawing you. He wants you to come in full assurance of faith. And for years as a Christian, I struggle with that. Because I would come to pray and I'd start out saying, God, I'm sorry I failed so much yesterday. I know I started out with good intentions, but I just blew it. And today I didn't start out too well either. You know, and Lord, really this last week, I've, you know, I didn't read my Bible as much as I should have. I'm really sorry about that. And I'd go on for about 15 minutes. And by the time I was done that, I was just, oh God, I've got to go somewhere now. I'm sorry, you know. And I had no confidence until read, I read a little mini book by somebody on prayer and they said how they used to do the same thing and at dawn, and they stopped. And sometimes you've got to step back and say, what am I doing? Because faith comes by hearing. And all I'm doing is going over everything that I know I didn't do what I think I should have done to God who knows it already. God's not going, oh, you didn't? Oh my goodness, you didn't do that? Oh, I'm shocked. I really, what are you doing? Of course you're going to destroy your, all your confidence before Him. And then it dawned on me, nowhere in here does He say we're supposed to be looking at what we're doing when we come to Him. It's not based on how good you've been. In fact, in chapter 4, He says we're to come boldly to the throne of grace to receive help and mercy in time of need when you've messed up. We're to come to Him. Well, if we're to come to Him when we've messed up, then I ought to be able to come to Him when I haven't messed up. I just don't feel so good. See, it has nothing to do with your feelings. You ever notice how fickle they are? You can go to bed feeling so holy. I mean, if they were going to add a fourth to the Trinity, it'd be me. I mean, you're just, you know, you're just, you, you, you know you're grooving it. You're in there. Oh, I'm finally hitting on all cylinders with this stuff. Oh, I'm going great. And just go to sleep with such peace. And you wake up. Overnight. And you didn't get out of bed and do anything wrong. And yet we base our life, we base our relationship with God and where we stand with God on how we feel. But how you feel affects you until you learn to over, not pay attention to how you feel. How many times I've just pulled back, well, I don't feel anything right now, and so I guess God's not, you know, either He's disappointed in me or something, and so I'll just, you know, I'll, I'll try tomorrow. I was robbed of an opportunity with Him. Let's go on and look at this, because it talks about not wavering here. In Hebrews chapter 10. Verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. He who promised is faithful. He who promised is faithful. He didn't say you were faithful. 
He said, he who promised, and it's the same principle, he's made a promise, remember Abraham, Abraham believed the promise, why? Because God's faithful. God made a promise to Abraham, Abraham to believe the promise. Goes on to say, therefore it was accounted to him as righteousness, not for his sake only, but also for all those who would believe after his name, that's you and me. Without wavering, because he is faithful, let us consider one another to stir up love and good works, not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. We talked about that all the more as you see the day approaching. So he's talking about this day and hour in which we live. For if we sin willfully... Let's let's drop over here. That's not what you think it is. Okay. Let's go over... That's walking away. Let's go down to verse 32. But recall the former days in which you were illuminated or awake or aware of what's going on. And you endured a great struggle with sufferings, partly while you made a spe- were made a spectacle by reproaches and tribulations. He's talking about these Jewish believers that at one point in their walk with God were in a tremendous pressure and tribulation and persecution. And he's talking, he's calling them back to what got them through that because they were facing discouragement and ready to quit under the pressure. Because all the enemy has as a weapon ultimately is pressure against you through your senses and your mind. The pressure's on your senses to wear you down, wear you out, and then the bombardment of your mind is it's not going to work for you. You're not going to make it. You're not strong enough. You're not faithful enough. You, 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 this, this, this. Not, not, not enough, enough, enough. It's interesting because Paul says, my sufficiency is in Christ. I've learned a glory in my weakness. See, God's aware of your weakness. He's not counting on you. He's counting on you to count on Him. And so they've been through this before, and Paul's call, the writer of Hebrews is calling them back to this. Verse 34, And you had compassion on me in my chains, and joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods, knowing that you have better and enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. So yes, we can use faith to receive goods, But now Paul's saying, here's faith where your goods were taken away from you and you don't fall apart. Why? Because your stability, your confidence, your well-being was not founded on those goods. This is my concern for the church in the United States today. We've heard so much about prosperity and there's truth in that. But when that's all you hear and you base your life on, what happens if that's shaken? Because the Bible doesn't tell you to build your life on those goods, on your possessions. And this is very, very troubling to me in a sense, because I remember last year, twice we lost our power in our house. Once for 48 hours. And I couldn't believe how much that bothered me. We had shelter. We had food. We even had hot water. Some of you didn't have that. And some of you went for much longer, and it was a wake-up call. My goodness! If having to use candles and manually open my garage door <laughs> bothers me that much, 
I need to take a second look at where I am and what my sense of well-being is based on. And Paul says, you're under pressure now. He says, but when your goods were taken away from you because you were, because you, because you were believers, we may hit a day when because of our faith, things will be taken away from us. It may be goods, it may be our freedom, it may even be our life. And what will make the difference in that day is our faith, what our faith is in. So your faith is in something. My faith was in my hot water, my electricity. Not as much, I didn't realize how much. For my sense of well-being and peace of mind and whether we're going to make it or not. Two days. It was getting to me. Will I find faith on the earth? Read a little bit more and then we'll have to pick up here next time. You had compassion, verse 34, you had compassion on me and my chains and joyfully accepted the plundering of your... <laughs> joyfully. 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 Now, there's some camps out there. I mean, everything's based around what you got. <laughs> they joyfully accepted the plundering of their goods. Is there just something not right in their head? Is that, I mean, what, you know, what's wrong with them? They had a different perspective. They saw their lives through God's perspective, not the world's perspective. The world's perspective is your welfare, your benefits, your blessing, your, your provision, your, your sense of well-being comes from what you have. We're going to begin to see more next time that that's not God's way of thinking. Paul says in Philippians 4, I've learned how to be abased, which is nothing, or abound. In other words, I live the same way if I'm flowing in things, money in things, or if I have nothing. It doesn't change who I am. It doesn't change how I act. It doesn't change how I believe. Why? Because I can do all things through my 42-inch TV, my remote control, my freezer full of food, my two cars that are working. No. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. My brothers and sisters, we've got some waking up to do. And here's the chance. We'll leave here because we'll pick up here next time. Either we wake ourselves up and begin to renew our mind to what the Word of God says, or the circumstances will wake us up and we'll have to start scrambling. I believe God is preparing us. There's nothing to be afraid of because fear and faith don't fit together. But the Bible does say in the last days, men's hearts will fail them for fear. Why? They built their lives. They built their welfare. They built their sense of well-being. They built their security not on the right foundation.
Matthew 7, Jesus talked about that. Two builders, one built his house on sand and the other built it on a rock. When the storm came, good house, good design, well-constructed, best materials. But the foundation it was on determined which house stood and which didn't. When I come back, Jesus said, will I? It's an unanswered question. Will I find faith on the earth? And he's asking us today, will I find faith at Faith Christian Center?